0: Previously, on The Tony Cornizer
1: Show.
2: So she answered the phone and somebody said, Mrs. Billis, have you ever heard of Appalachian State? And she said, no. And he said, well, they just beat Duke last night. And your son is thinking about going there. That coach isn't going to be there much longer. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, when Coach K called later on, I don't think it was the same night, but when he called later on, my mom said, and my mom knew nothing about sports. And she said, I'm a little bit worried about your program. And Coach <laughs> Day responded, well, Mrs. Billis, I'm worried about it too. That's why I'm recruiting your son.
3: The Tony Kornizer Show is on now. We are so lucky on this show sometimes. We have such good guests. And they don't seem to be intimidated you know, by a specific line of questioning. They're all experienced enough to just take whatever you say and then say what they want to say. And it really does. And and this is unlike what I see on television a lot. Um because television's more difficult. You're facing a camera. You have different concerns. It's much more conversational. They share a different side of themselves. Yeah, it's just it's much just, more personal. It's fun. Yes. It's it's just fun. Um our best wishes to Susan Heck. Our best wishes to Susan Heck today. There's a bunch of things that I want to talk about. And I'll, I'm just going to start because I know people care about this. They care about the weather in the 20015. Yes. Well, the weather in the 20015 overnight was icy. On the trees in the 20015. and I noticed this this morning, I thought these were just like globs of water. It teardrops. Ready to fall off. No, they're globs of ice. Every tree that I passed walking the dog this morning had ice. Every windshield that I passed, car windshield, had ice. I just scraped my own car. There's no need to scrape. You make it sound much worse than it I scraped is. it. Well, what now, you, Were
1: what you, what you driving I would, this morning?
3: No. Were you? Yeah, in the 2016. Okay. We didn't have the same concerns. Okay. No, in so, the 207. Yes. Here's what I would say about this. Ice is very, very problematic. You need to say prayers to whoever you say prayers to that when you have a buildup of ice, that the temperature goes up. You don't want the temperature going down. Here's what you don't want. The temperature going down and a big wind coming through. Because branches come off at that. And they're lethal weapons. Because they're heavier than they normally would be. Because they're coated with ice. One of these hits you in the chest, it's going through you. You're a dead man. That's my experience. Actually, it's not my experience. It's my fear. Um, My old boss, Leanne Schreiber, at the New York Times, sports editor of the New York Times, wrote a book the first chapter of which described something like this, where she lived in upstate New York. An ice storm, a wind, and trees falling down and splintering with cracks that scared you to death. So that's all I'm saying. So I hope, is the temperature supposed to go up today, It Michael? is going up. Okay, so then I'm not as worried. It's already been above freezing for I don't, quite a while. I don't want to be in a panic mode, which I am now, of course. Liquid water on the trees. It's ice again no need to scrape it's ice. might hurt your windshield <laughs> so i think i think i should talk about ukraine just briefly and i think i should say because people are probably wondering what's going on in ukraine i don't know like i have no real good answers on this i watched david remnick on morning joe today david remnick's very very smart and david remnick was the moscow correspondent for the washington post for a while and 30 40 years ago but has some sense of the russian character and has kept up with it for a long period of time i can't tell you exactly what he said he was not particularly optimistic nobody would be optimistic people are dying needlessly there this is an invasion and it's an invasion okay so but let's try to put it in some sort of small context and i make sports analogies whenever i can because i'm stupid and that's really all i know is sports The Russians cheat all the time in the Olympics. They cheat when they had the Olympics in Sochi. They cheated in their own country. They passed clean bottles of urine through the wall for their athletes to submit for testing rather than the polluted ones they were going to submit because of all the banned substances they were taking. They do this all the time. They just did it. They just did it in China. That's who they are. Okay, They don't really care in sports if they get caught because they know you're not going to do anything. What are you going to do? Stop the anthem? Stop the flag? You're kicking the athletes out? No, you're not. They did this with their client states. When they were the Soviet Union, and East Germany was one of their client states, they fed the swimmers drugs. And tell them, just fed it to them, and suddenly the swimmers were world record holders. All the weightlifting teams in their client states Get tossed out of the Olympics all the time because you don't toss the Russians because they're a big deal. You toss somebody else, the Bulgarian weightlifters, you toss them because not only do they test positive, it's like, they're, it, it's like when, you, when you hit the jackpot at Atlantic City, the bells and whistles go crazy. This happens all the time. They don't really care about public opinion. Vladimir Putin could care less what you think of him. He's doing what he wants to do. Why is he doing it? Again, dime store psychology. Because when he grew up, and it was the Soviet Union, the Ukraine was part of it. It's not that long ago. And he's thinking, I want this back. Again, what I said the other day, it's not any different than make America great again. It's make Russia great again. Let's expand. Let's bring back what we had. Let's do that. Let's see what somebody else says about it. We don't care what somebody else says about it. Let's see what they do about it. Now, you say to yourself, this is impossible you can't do this we're, we're all in agreement that it's wrong but why do you think this never happened in the United States why do you think England never came back to get us because we left in the 1700s and there were no airplanes and there was no technology there were wooden ships across the water that took months to get here and once they got here what were they gonna do you weren't an occupying power that made no sense unless you set up a government which is what England had already done in Canada. They had a government in Canada. They never came back for us. They let us go. And we're so far away. Did they come back for us at 1800 at some point? Yeah, Yeah, But it didn't work. It didn't work out for us. It didn't work. Yeah, It's not like it is now where you can be there in 10 seconds. (laughs) It's different. We are very fortunate where we are, physically where we are, away from whoever wanted to go get us. And our neighbors to the north and our neighbors to the south, they're not going to occupy us. They're really not. They're too happy to sell us stuff. It's, it's okay. It works out very well. I'm not trying to justify what's happening there on any level. Because I say I don't, I don't know, and I think it's terrible. But it seems, me, it seems to me that that is the mindset. We used to have this just a little while ago. And half the people there speak our language and identify with us, so let's get it back. But the cost... People are dying all over the place. It's a terrible, terrible cost. Am I yeah, am I making that, any sense? That is here? the
1: that's the real cost, and then you think about the long term cost as well. Is and that's what you're beginning to see with sanctions from the U S., uh, which President Biden spoke to yesterday, and now you're seeing uh, you know greater sanctions from allies. And, and you look at but we're not going the, to war. On if you look us. at the geography. You try and think, well, what does some of the positioning help Russia do as a threat for for more, I don't know, active movement around the region if you start looking at the positioning near um, sort of other NATO-aligned countries? For me, I'm a little too young to to understand or to really really, – to see the full picture here because of where I am relative to what the Soviet union was. And I'm looking, I'm watching the news yesterday and it's, it's pictures that are straight out of textbooks. As I was learning about world war. II. They owned everything. And you just look at the, you know, the areas, the cities that they're targeting, and, and you're sort of looking as they're circling around Kyiv right now. Uh, so for me, I'm left with a lot of questions. Uh, yesterday, I was starting to look into a lot of Chernobyl and sort of the symbolism around what happened there and symbolically what that meant to the Soviet Union, and, and that's as they were trying to take that quarantined area back. Uh, the big one for me is everyone was talking about sanctions and, and sort of the nuclear option. Uh, as you talk about the removal from Swift, apparently not a Taylor Swift fan club. This was a... <laughs> I had to, have you looked this up? If you Google no. it, it's like the first thing that it hit is it's like Swift. What is the like? What is Swift? Uh, the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. I don't know. Um, sure. I would have said Taylor Swift. Yeah, T Swizzle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course yeah. you would. Uh, no, so that's where I am. I'm 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 trying to learn and
3: and get some of those questions answered. But it just it just seems that. Putin's motivation is fairly obvious. Well, I think it's, we owned it. We want it back. Well, I think there's there's nobody's that. coming for us. We're yeah. too far away.
1: Like he's like, What are you gonna do about it? Um right. but I think there's a psychological component that you hit on, but I think there's also a very realistic, pragmatic thing is that the resources within the
3: Ukraine they want it. are vast and they want those they want for it. their economy and for their country. Yeah, they want it. And they wanna they wanna restore the sort of empire You're that graduate. they had. Yeah. Like we didn't have an empire. We had what we got. We were good. We were C to shining C, C to shining C. We were good. Now, when people say Tony Corners is an idiot about this, I I affirm that I am. I'm an idiot. Don't pay attention to me. I'm an idiot. Let me read a couple of things from Leslie Thomas in Hillsborough, North Carolina. My friends Paul and Holly Hankins were visiting from Annapolis, Maryland. We're having cocktails, and I asked if they minded if I watched the Mister Tony show. They asked who Mister Tony was, and I explained that it was really PTI, but I was a loyal little and referred to the show as such. Paul asked if I knew you when I told him about Michael and the kids, golf, Chessie, the RV, Uncle Benny's table. Paul then said he had coached a Michael Kornheiser Little League baseball team years ago when they lived in D.C. I almost gave myself whiplash to look at Paul. Could this really be a David Aldridge moment? Wow. Nobody famous from Pensacola, Florida, when I was born. But I did go to school in Statesboro, Georgia, where Sutton Foster, the Sutton Foster Broadway star, was born. And there are four outlets in my kitchen. Do you remember Paul Hankins?
1: Uh, the name sounds very familiar. I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to go to the history, uh, the historian Sam Neal, for all right. Cap City Little League questions. Okay. Uh, yes, but I have, st- I have fond memories as I take the bootsy and the hammer to the Chevy Chase Park, and I try we and play. show them uh, the the batting cage where I had a power alley <laughs> up the left side of the infield. Yeah.
3: Uh, from Steve the Sycophant, would really appreciate it if you could mention an upcoming Fairfax Wind Symphony concert. Fresh from a triumphant December appearance in Chicago at the Midwest Clinic International Band and Orchestra Conference, the FWS will appear this Sunday, February 27th. That's in a couple of days, at 4 p.m. at W.T. Woodson High School in Fairfax, Virginia. Admission is free. Just bring a mask and be entertained. So again, that's this Sunday. From Mark Feinsand. It's amazing when people who are guests write emails. (laughs) From Mark Feinsand. (laughs) After hearing some littles boast about the alumni from their high school on the last podcast, I decided to chime in on behalf of Hunter College High School on the Upper East Side in New York City. I am familiar with Hunter College High School. Our partial list includes EGOT winners Bobby Lopez and Jonathan Tunick, Cynthia Nixon, Texas Rangers President John Daniels, former Secretary of Commerce Ron Brown, uh, Senator Roy Goodman, rapper, Young MC, ESPN's Max Kellerman, Hamilton creator Lin-Manuel Miranda, and Supreme Court Justice Elena Kagan, whose mother, I might add, was my fifth and sixth grade teacher. Looks like I won't be having a statue dedicated to me, a hunter, anytime <laughs> That's soon. That's a strong lineup, but who, but who you batting clean up? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and one more from Mitch in New York. It was great to hear Michael give shout-outs to Scott from E-Line and Sh- Chef Sasha Felixson of Foxtrot on Wednesday's show. I went to Frost Middle School and Wooten High School with these clowns. And our group of friends has maintained a tight bond. We all played golf together last summer at the urging of Scott, who's the only golfer in the group. For the most part, he was pretty good and we were trash. So you can imagine our surprise when Scott hit the worst slice of all time and nailed Sasha squarely in the forehead from about 40 feet. If Chef Sasha's hand delivers your bougie groceries, check out his scar. You can't miss it. This is such a great email. Glad Scott might be getting him some business. To put it mildly, it's the least he can do. And for the record, Sasha is a phenomenal chef. Yours in connective scar tissue, Mitch in New York. Not sure what's up with Elon and golf, but it was around the same time that J.R. Smith stepped on a beehive at the Elon Invitational. Eat it, Scott. You don't get emails like this on other shows. You just don't. These emails are just too good. They really are. Is there anything else? Uh, What did I want to do? Did I want to talk about James Harden tonight? No. Did I want to mention, though, that Ben Simmons isn't ready? He's not ready What yet. do you mean? He's not playing What do you mean you're not ready? He's just a minute. <laughs> You've been doing nothing all year, presumably working out and just shooting in the backyard. You got traded. You got liberated. What do you mean you're not ready? Get ready. Are you kidding? I mean, honestly, are you kidding? It's a bit bizarre. You, you even said you're really looking forward to it. You feel great about it. To get out there and play. And I could go on about Greg Norman, but not today. So we'll take a break. Who's first, Tim? Tim Kirkson is next. Tim Kirkson, nice. when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Shopify ad. Shopify is more than a store. Connect with your customers, drive sales, manage your day-to-day. Shopify instantly lets you accept all major payment methods. Shopify has thousands of integrations and third-party apps from on-demand printing to accounting to advanced chatbots and beyond. That's the paragraph that gets to me because I don't understand a word of it. Supercharge your knowledge, your sales, and your success. Discover endless possibility. Shopify is tirelessly reinventing tools of growth for over 1.7 million businesses helping them to succeed every day. Michael, can you explain what Shopify does? This includes your (coughs)
1: daughter-in-law's
3: group, the Folio Collaborative. They use Shopify, so they're going to take their
1: enterprise and help them deliver it online.
3: Okay. Shopify believes in liberating commerce for all because entrepreneurship has the power to drive communities forward and commerce can be a force for good. Shopify unlocks the opportunity of your business to more people every day. Every 28 seconds, an entrepreneur like you makes their first sale on Shopify. So go to shopify.com slash tonyk, all lowercase please, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash tonyk right now. One more time, shopify.com slash tonyk, lowercase people. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Scott Baumeester, i hope i pronounced that correctly who says he's a longtime little who has wanted to submit music from his band from a past life called the wilderness of manitoba how cool a name is that <laughs> That's for a band a fantastic name. the podcast was essential listening while on the road and helped ground us to the world outside of our whirlwind lives really grateful for the dc weather reports while we were in california so thank you <laughs> i'd like to submit two songs i'm a co-writer on and we'd love to be included in the vast collection of artists and musicians Travel around the world and greet each other with lachiserie. This is called Whitewater. Again, it's from the wilderness of Manitoba, which is how I think of Manitoba. Yes. As being wilderness. (laughs) Yes. Whitewater. We'll play another song for them in a little while. They play in, and you can listen at the end of the podcast to their stuff without me wrapping around myself nonsense, (laughs) which I started with today with Ukraine because I'm an idiot. Um, but they play in Tim Kirkjian. So let me do this introduction. We, we have three people we go to about baseball on a regular basis. We have Jeff Passan. We have Richard Justice. We have Tim Kirkjian. Occasionally Ron Darling, but not on a regular basis. We've already heard from two. It's Tim's turn in the box. So we start with this. Because we have news for you, but you are aware of the news. Yesterday, baseball said... If we don't have a deal by Monday, there's no opening day. We're done. And if you players think you're going to get paid, you're not going to get paid. Games missed or games missed, and there's no salary for that. The most obvious question is, do you believe this is a real position that baseball is taking, or is it negotiation?
2: Well, I think for right now, Tony, it's real. However, let's let's say we get to Monday, the deadline, and they're really close, and they say tomorrow, March the 1st, we can clean this up, but no, it's not done by the 28th, so games are canceled, and we're going to start on May the 1st now, not March the 31st. I'm not going to buy that. I think if it's really close on Monday, they say, all right, that was a really important deadline, we didn't reach it, But we have another day, and it's going to happen tomorrow. If it's that close, I don't think it's a harsh deadline. But otherwise, I think the owners are saying, yeah, this is it. And that would be tremendously unfortunate.
3: I want to make sure that people understand this. The provocateurs in this are the owners. This is a lockout. It's not a strike. That doesn't mean the players wouldn't go on strike. But they didn't have the opportunity because the owners locked them out, which leads to this question. In in all negotiations – you often wait for a response. After you say A, you wait for B. The players had no response. It was like, really? Who cares? They didn't even formally respond to this. Does that strike you as important?
2: Yes. In any negotiation, Tony, there has to be a back and forth. Somebody yes. makes a proposal. Two sides are in you, this. Right. And you respond to that proposal. Now, the union has made proposals, and the owners didn't respond, and vice versa, and that's part of the problem here. Now, I actually was encouraged after Monday, today is Friday, because I was told they're actually negotiating. They're not just taking one proposal, examining it, and then chucking it away. They're actually going back and forth. So I thought, well all right, we have a chance now. They're actually negotiating as opposed to anything else. But since then, it looks like they haven't even been negotiating. And that's where I think we're all really worried about getting anything done by Monday or right after Monday, because we're back to, well, we don't have anything left to talk about. Well, we better find something to talk about. Otherwise, Spring training is, I mean, spring training is not going to start and the regular season is going to be delayed.
3: This is sort of a, um, this is a question that I, I'm, I'm not sure that everybody asks. But it occurred to me the other day, do you think the owners want 162 games? Do you think in the, in the best of all possible worlds they would keep 162 or would they go less if they had their choice?
2: I think if they had their choice, of course they would like to play 162 games because every game matters as far as finances and money, revenue coming in. However, I've had people tell me, and this is not people in charge, that if the owners get 140 games in, they could make it all work financially. So if we miss say a month and started on May the first. Uh, that would still satisfy the owners. With one warning, though, Tony, they are going to want expanded playoffs. And right. the union has said, if, no. you're, if we're not going to play 162 and you're not going to pay us for the games that are missed, then we don't have to agree and we won't agree to expanded playoffs. That's where all most of the money comes in, is if we have 14 playoff teams Or even 12 instead of 10. More playoff games means more money. So that's the danger of playing less than 162 is if you're not going to pay the players, they may say, fine, but we're not having expanded playoffs. Those are the warnings.
3: So this question is going to sound hopelessly naive, I'm sure. But I will ask it anyway. Everybody knew when the agreement was going to be up. Everybody knew, generally, what the players wanted and what the owners wanted, generally. We've had years to work on this, Tim. Years. Why is this happening now? Why didn't they settle this before?
2: Well, this is the big problem, Tony, is after the last negotiation, as you know, in 2016, the last CBA in which the owners apparently won... Easily in that one. And I had a former player tell me, yeah, we got uh, an agreement with whole foods and they got a salary cap. That's how he explained how much the owners won by how much the owners won the last negotiation. Therefore, since then the players have been trying to get that money or whatever they lost back. And therefore this should have been in the works three years ago, knowing yes. this day was going to happen. And yet, they just kept saying, well, nothing ever happens until a deadline is in place. Well, now the deadline has been in place for four days and not much is happening. And that is the discouraging part.
3: Do the players personally dislike Rob Manfred? Is, is that relationship so bad or, or is it he much like every other commissioner and they just dislike the office? Or is it worse with him?
2: I don't think it's worse with him. I, I obviously some players don't like him, but that goes for every commissioner in every sport. And I just I don't think it's Rob Manfred's fault. It's the first time he's ever presided over something like this as the commissioner. When he when he did these deals with Michael Weiner of the Union, and they got it done because Rob was representing only Major League Baseball. Uh, he, he got things done, as did, as did Michael Weiner of the union. But now, when you're the commissioner, now you, in theory, have to represent both sides. But he's still hired by the owner. So I just think it puts the commissioner of baseball, no matter who the commissioner is, in very difficult situations. And that's where we are right now. But I refuse to think that the players are saying, well, we're not going to agree to this. We don't like the commissioner personally. I I'm not buying that.
3: So one of the things you alluded to earlier was if you get close, you know, everything is sort of back on the table. I remember when I was a kid on Long Island and, you know, you'd watch the nightly news and the nightly news was always New York City and there would be uh, negotiations, labor negotiations. The city would be negotiating with some union. It seemed that there was a lawyer named Theodore Keel, K-H-E-E-L, who represented, it seemed to me, every union in the world. And what would happen, Tim, is that At some point, they would go in a room together, literally in a room together, and the announcement would be made, we've turned off the clock, which meant it doesn't matter how long this takes, we're staying in here, and we're going to get a deal. And often when they got a deal, all the things that were allegedly off the table the weeks and months before were included in the deal. So it seems to me possible that if they get a deal— It is 162. Whatever it is, you know, that all of what baseball is saying now, all of the threats baseball is making, it seems possible that those things would would just go away if they could get a deal. Do you agree with that?
2: Well, I I think, I just don't think it works like it did in 81 when I covered that strike. They went in a room and they didn't come out until they were done. And I covered 94, 95. I can't tell you, Tony, how many times I sat in a ballroom in new york city waiting for the two sides to come out of a room and then they would have a press conference where they would tell us what happened that isn't happening either and with you know with social media and cell phones you don't have to meet in the same room because you can just you can communicate some other way from some distance but it's always better you would think in a two room people or two in a room face yes. to face
3: that's yes. how things
2: are done they You yes. really see when somebody's upset when you can actually look into their eyes when you read their body language and recognize that proposal didn't work. Well, that's not where we are right now, but that's where we have to be logically if this is going to get done.
3: Do, do you sense any um, pushback on that? That that either side is saying we don't want to be in a room with you. We, you know, I mean, it would seem to me that that if you're going to use the word negotiate. Being in a room is the best way to do it.
2: Well, again, Tony, it would be a bit childish if both sides don't like each other, which clearly they don't like each other, but they right. refuse to sit in a room with somebody because they don't like each other. That, that's ridiculous. I mean, Ray Greeby, who represented the, the owners, and Marvin Miller, who represented the players in the 81 strike, they were, they didn't like being in the same room. I'm not sure they liked each other at all. But they knew, as negotiators, this has to be done. So that's what's going to have to be done here.
3: What is your feeling What as you sit here now on a Friday with a deadline on Monday, Friday morning? What is your feeling about when baseball will start?
2: Hi, Tony, let's be clear. We're all still guessing on this, okay? And things can change in a heartbeat. They can change in one hour, and everything goes the right yeah. way or the wrong way. But to answer your question, huh, note my hesitation, I think we're going to start baseball on May the 1st. I think we're going to play 140 games, and I think we're going to be a month behind. So they're going to take another month to get things together. April's going to be spring training, and we're going to start on May the 1st. That's what I think. That was last Monday. Four days ago, I thought, we're going to get this done by Monday, and we're opening on March 31st. At this moment, it's, it's just hard to see how that's going to happen.
3: So there is an important follow-up question. If that happens, will there be expanded playoffs, and will there be revenue sharing on that between the players and the owners?
2: Well, again, this is the really – there are so many difficult questions yeah. here without answers. I would say if we play 140, there aren't expanded playoffs. And, but then that defeats the purpose. Why would the owners even agree to play 140 when what they yeah. really want are the expanded playoffs at the end where all the money is? So I would say the 22 games say you lose unpaid for the players means there are no expanded playoffs. So it, it's just the most mind-boggling thing that we're all dealing with here. There are no correct answers, and we still have a long, long way to go.
3: Thank you, Tim. Thank you, thank you. Tim Kirchin, boys and girls. I neglected to mention, when I talked about all the people we talked about baseball, I neglected to mention Sand. whose right. email we read early, so I <laughs> apologize to Sand on that. We tend to talk to him about hardcore baseball as opposed to sort of strike stuff, yes. theoretical and all that. Yes. Let's get sand on next week. Absolutely. He's probably upset, too. <laughs> I'm sure he right? is. Like everybody else who loves baseball. We'll take a break. Ann Hornaday who we haven't talked to in a bit. Ann Hornaday will join us when we return. She has written a story in the Washington Post slamming the Oscar telecast. I mean, if you think that Rory slammed Phil, <laughs> Ann is slamming the Oscars. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
4: This is the Tony Kornheiser Show.
3: Once again, this is the wilderness of Manitoba. <laughs> It's a phenomenal it's just, name. <laughs> it's so good. Have you ever been to Manitoba? I have not been to Manitoba. No, I've never been. Michael, you've never been. You know Manitoba, the answer to this? No, <laughs> you've never been to Manitoba. <laughs> you should take the kids. Yeah, we could put a pin up on the map. There you go. Bootsy and the Hammer. They want to see Manitoba. <laughs> What's the big city in Manitoba? Is it Edmonton? Manitoba City? No, it's not Manitoba City. It's uh, Winnipeg. 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 Thank you. Sean. Yeah, they got a team.
5: A Winnipeg the Jets. Yeah,
3: they got a team. Yeah. um This is a song called November. And uh, Scott Baumeister writes, submitting a song named November and February should be a clue. We were never as prolific as the great Dan Byrne. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, Michael, if people like The Wilderness of Manitoba want to submit their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. And remember, you can listen to it at the end without me screaming over it. Ann Hornaday joins us now. As I said in the introduction, Ann Hornaday wrote a piece in the Washington Post killing the oscars c-i-l-l kill the oscars just killed it do you want to um you want to explain your anger at the oscar show not at the oscars at the oscar television show
5: yeah the academy announced this week on tuesday that they were going to bestow eight of the awards off camera Um, And those include production design and editing and sound and hair and makeup, um, original score, and then the shorts categories. And it just, you know, I try not to get emotionally invested in the Oscars because it'll drive you nuts and they do what they do and, and they have their own imperatives and I really respect that. But this is just such a boneheaded move on so many Levels um, and you know I, I enumerate them in the column and we can go over them together. But um, it just flies in the face of, of everything that they purport to stand for, and it's just a it's it's a, it's also just purely from an optical point of view. It's a really really stupid move.
3: So one of the things you talked about was the movement in recent years of inclusivity with the Oscars, and your position was a lot of these. I would call them lesser awards because I'm not in the industry. Sure. You know, but a lot of these awards that is where minority talent receives Oscars and are then shown on the stage. That seemed am I right on that? That bothered
5: you? Well it's starting to and I think, you know, what I look for and I know, you know, when April Rain started the Oscars so white campaign back in twenty fifteen it was really focused on the most visible awards, like um, acting. acting and directing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we usually do focus, and best picture, and those are the things we focus on. But when I'm watching that telecast, I'm looking for those, quote, what they call, below-the-line you know, jobs um because that's where people build careers you know those are the jobs those are that that's how people make a living in in hollywood and they they do have a lot of power as department heads you know they have an an enormous amount of influence on the way a film looks and feels and moves um and so what I've seen in recent years, what I have found really heartening is when a, someone like a Hannah Beachler wins for her production design for Black Panther, which was genius, you know, which was so good. Um, or, you know, when uh, Mia Neal um, wins, uh, Mia Neal and Jamika Wilson win for hairstyling in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I mean, those that's when I see, you know, more women and more people of color and people from around the globe. Winning these awards, it's just very heartening to me that that that's starting to open up on on every level, not just the most visible ones. Um, so you know, for the Academy, we just you know gone so out of its way and and trumpeted its efforts to incl- to uh, increase yeah. diversity and inclusion, <laughs> then to kind of cut out this really important piece of that. It's just kind of like what? It's just a it's just a symphony of mixed messages.
3: So it, there are, you know, there are shows all the time like the Grammys that, you know, they don't, you know, they give away 40,000 Grammys and, mm-hmm. and only eight people go up there. I did when I read the story, I you, you stopped me at hair and makeup. I mean, I just said, oh, really, that's important hair and makeup because I don't have hair and it doesn't really matter. But, I, you know, my pushback is this. My pushback is that the producer, cause I'm not, I'm not like you. I don't watch all these movies and I'm not invested in it. If it was okay. sports, it would be different. Right. You know, I would have, I would feel like you felt if it was about sports. Right. I'd be really in the weeds on it. Right. But my pushback is if you're producing this and it's a television show, you're thinking to yourself, how do I make the most entertaining television show? How do I utilize my star power on a television show? Right. Isn't that the fair pushback to you?
5: Well, except that what they argued was well this will make more room for production numbers and musical numbers and montages and everybody hates those things. It's just that it's just, you know, it makes it feel draggy and it's usually those are very rarely good, you know. I mean once in a while they hit. A lot of times they miss. And if you're there to celebrate your art form and to bring, you know, the whole theme of this year's show is movie lovers unite. <laughs> so if you're trying to play to the people who are still movie lovers and it's a dwindle, you know, it's like this is a, this is a medium that's on the ropes right now. And you're
3: baseball, baby. you baseball. You're yeah. local. And yeah. It
5: just yeah. feels to me like you're driving away the very people that you, should be, that you should be first catering to. But, I mean, I take your point about the show. And, listen, I will tell you this. The coolest event I've ever been to associated um, with the Oscars was was not the Oscars. I've never actually been to the Oscars, nor do I have a desire to actually attend. Because as you know, Tony, being a live audience member at a television show Mm.
0: is torture. Mm. (laughs) Right?
5: Awful. Awful. It's it's really not that much fun. The cool thing is the Governor's Awards dinner, because that's a dinner. Everybody shows up. It's very glittery. It's it's truly kind of that old Hollywood glamour, you know, that I think people watch the Oscars or have traditionally watched the Oscars to kind of get a, a glimpse of. So, you know, to your point, if they want to make it a TV show, then let's revert back to the dinner. You know, make yeah. it a very exclusive like the Globes. swanky dinner and then make the TV show kind of center around the party, you know, because like it's kind of like what they did it, last year with the Soderbergh. Oscars that that cocktail party before the awards when they were interviewing people that was that was kind of neat I liked that you know people were relaxed they looked great it looked it looked like fun um, so like I think you can have both I mean maybe they should just revert back to the original purity of the event and then create a TV show around it you know that's, that's not that's yeah. not dependent on where they're not dependent on each other
3: so I work for a television network now and I always remind people that. People vote on whether they want you on television with ratings. Correct. Ratings are important. A television show is not a movie. It's really not. It's something entirely different. They're going for something different. Here's the fun part for me. I hold in my hand, as Michael and Nigel can see, I hold in my hand a bunch of screeners that have been sent to me. I've watched none of them. Okay. I have watched no movie in two years. Oh, I've watched nothing. I have what? only watched sports. That's okay. all I watch. Fair enough. I don't watch any movies, I don't watch any television, nothing. Okay. I am going to re- I'm going to go through this list and you have I'm going to ask you must see or can miss. Oh. Must God. see or I, okay. can miss. You ready? Okay. Yeah. West I'm Side scared. Story. Must see. Belfast.
5: Must see.
3: What's it about? Oh, Belfast. I know what West Side Story is about because I've seen it 4,000 times. Absolutely. What's Belfast about? A couple
5: of, a couple of crazy kids. Um, Belfast <laughs> is Kenneth Branagh's movie about his growing up in the eponymous city. It's charming, funny, dear. Great Van Morrison soundtrack. I'm just okay. Saying.
3: Okay. Ooh, All right, Belfast. Okay. Respect.
5: Mm, ooh, on the bubble. On the bubble. Great performance. I would say must see just for the performance. For and Jennifer Hudson. Mark Marin. Mark Maron is Jerry Wexler. Nailed. Okay, okay,
3: okay. House of Gucci. I
5: would say I would say you could miss that personally. Miss House gonna, of Gucci. I'm going to get mail, but
3: okay. <laughs> Licorice Pizza.
5: Ooh, that's painful for me. I wasn't as crazy about it as my colleagues, uh, but it's a great period piece. And what's it about? It's about a couple of crazy kids in the San Fernando Valley in the '70s trying to find love and happiness, and it's just it's. Paul Thomas Anderson, who you know from Boogie Nights and Magnolia.
4: Mm-hmm. It's
5: very digressive. It's, it, you know, I think narratively it's a mess, but as a mood piece and a hangout movie, it's lovely if you're in that mood.
3: Okay. Don't look up.
5: Okay, now I'm a fan. It's getting, it got a little beaten up by my, by my colleagues. Uh, again, you have to be in the mood for it. This is a satire about—it could be about climate change, frankly. It could be about COVID, you know, uh, about denialism. Um, it's wacky. It's 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 baggy. Everything's everything this year was forty five minutes too long. Um, uh, but uh, you know, it. I, I I thought it had, I thought it had merit.
3: Let me just say, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Jonah Hill, Kate Blanchett, Meryl Streep. Yeah, yeah. that's sort yeah. of a cast. Heavy hitters. It's Are a, you ready? Next one, King Richard, which I want to see. Tell I, me, I, I should see it.
5: I would say must see. It might make you mad though, because you probably know so much about the subject matter. But for I a sports person like me, it right. was it's so entertaining and it's so moving.
3: So I, I will tell you that the last tennis movie I saw, the Bobby Riggs Billy Jean <gasps> King movie, I liked a lot.
5: Okay, did you? I thought it was Borg, pretty good. Did you see Borg versus McEnroe?
3: Yes. Yes. I, I just
5: thought that was. I thought that was amazing.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that, that movie. So King Richard is about Richard Williams, the father of Serena and Venus, and how he produced them Correct. as tennis players. All right, here's another one. Passing.
5: Oh, I wasn't as crazy about that one either. I'm going to tell Tony Kornheiser, my good fr- you know, like knowing, kind of knowing your taste, I would probably say you might give that a, a, ma- a miss.
3: Okay, okay. Uh, Macbeth, Denzel Washington in oh, Macbeth.
5: Must see. Must
3: see. must see. Okay. I, and for those of you who don't know what Macbeth is about, get stop listening. <laughs> I can't, it's I can't deal with that. It's a, it's a Having taken Shakespeare in stopped. college and writing, <laughs> and I can't. Out, out, damn spot. Get out. <laughs> get out.
5: Just crazy kids in love. What,
3: okay. what are you going to do with this? It would have kids? been a time.
5: The Lost Daughter. Oh, must see. I thought that was amazing.
3: Olivia <laughs> Colman, who has won an Oscar already, I believe, right? True. I think she's won. <sighs> I won. Um, so this is a must see?
5: i okay. it, You know, it's Maggie gillen hall and it's her it's her directorial debut and i just thought it was a really strong debut plus which
3: i really liked her in that movie with uh bridges
5: oh Oh, yeah country western movie yeah yeah. crazy i liked her a lot i want more crazy hearts in the world
3: that was a good movie
5: not a a great movie
3: movie, but a good movie and she was really good we just
5: want good movies that's all we want
3: so I should see Lost Daughter.
5: I think it's just it's such a strong debut and it's got a great okay. performance by Olivia Coleman. And I will add Miss Dakota Johnson, who Dakota Johnson is impressing me so much these days. I just more more about that later, but
3: Okay. The power of the dog.
5: I would say must see be because I think that's a front runner in a lot of these Oscar categories and it's a real talker like Is it about but a I'm dog? Out, is it no
3: no, it's there's not no there's dog no
5: dog in it. There's no oh. but it's but you'll see what it means. It refers to something. Um, great Benedict Cumberbatch performance, really twisty psychological thriller. Very Hitchcockian in terms of where it goes. It's the kind of movie, let me tell you this, when I'm out in the world, that's the movie people want to talk about the most. Okay. Like that's the one where they'll be like, "Did you see that? What do you think was going on?" You know, it's it's I think people are really like you know, even if they don't quote unquote love the movie, they like to talk about the movie because of where it goes and kind of the plot and what was that all about. You know, it's, it's, it's very intriguing.
3: Okay. Tick, tick, boom.
5: Um, okay. How do you feel about music? Were you a Rent fan? Did you see Rent?
3: I saw Rent on stage. Um, did, and I thought it it, I thought it was a little to overrated. To be honest, I thought it was a little overrated. Rent on stage. Right. I never saw the movie because I had seen it on stage. Exactly. Because
5: this yeah. is you know this is about that composer and kind of his life leading up to writing that musical. So mm. I think if you're a big Rent fan, um, it will send you into. Paroxysms of delirium, <laughs> right. and if you're not, it's a very, you know, Lynn Manuel Miranda directed it very, very well, you know, and it's got a great Andrew Garfield central performance. Um, but you, I think it helps a lot if you're a huge fan of that
3: musical. Okay, and one more coda.
5: Oh, must see. Oh, really? Yeah. I found out
3: what that means. It means child of deaf
5: parents. Correct. And this. So is I didn't kind know. That. A, this is a real classic coming of age, you know, it's formulaic. I'm going to tell you right off the bat. It's very formulaic. You've seen this movie before, right? It's the, it's the high school senior leaving her family, trying to p- pave her own way in the world. In this case, she's the only hearing member of her family and she needs to, she needs to leave them behind, even though she's been their only, their chief translator to the world. Yes, so that's yes. kind of the added, the <clears throat> added layer, but it's, it's sweet. It's Funny, Marlene Matlin, hilarious. Um, Troy Kotzer, who was nominated for a supporting actor, plays her dad. And they're very funny, raunchy, cute musical numbers, cute sort of teenage love story. I don't know. Not that I'm saying cute so much. Maybe it's too cute for you. But I just thought it was incredibly well executed and very, very sweet. It's a sweet As movie. you know,
3: making your way in the world today takes everything you got.
5: <laughs> Doesn't it, does. though?
3: It does. Everything you got. So I have Sometimes all these movies. got to go. Yeah, worse, everybody knows your name. Oh. That Applebee's <laughs> should be should be sued for a billion think, dollars for taking that. How does that happen?
5: I need I need awful.
3: that story. Like it's Just what? disgusting. <laughs> Applebee's, get out of here! Um, <laughs> Come on. So I've got all of these movies. I haven't seen any of them. I don't so know what you, to most tell you, of them man. you like, said what would to I see say? them. What
5: would I say? Watch first. I think you're going to really like Belfast.
3: Okay. I, think I like Kenneth really Branagh. Like I, think I admire I be... Kenneth Branagh. Oh,
5: he's
3: I do. great. I admire him. He did you know? I admired friend. his first wife too. Uh, I mean, what? I thought She's a great actress. Emma Thompson I've, I've is done, great I've actress. done
5: two Q and As with him. I did one at Middleburg Film Festival, and I did one for Washington Post Live. And the yeah. one question I want to ask him is, "Are you out of your mind?
3: <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah. <laughs> what were
5: you think? dude? Because she's yeah, <laughs> it's Emma freaking Thompson
3: coming. Yeah, that's sort you couldn't of how work I feel. it out. Yeah, sort of. How I feel. But I'm. It's lovely to have you on the show you. hmm? Lovely to have you on the show. Thank you. always
5: great. Thank you so much.
3: And Hornaday, boys and girls, we'll take a break. We will return with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The lovely voices of the kids at Cane Bay High School in South Carolina. Just lovely. Now, do you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, thank you. Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. That'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, when the night has come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light we'll see, no, I won't be afraid, or I won't be afraid. Just as long as you stand, stand by me. Benny King. I always felt an overrated movie a lot of people like that movie. Yeah, sure. Didn't yeah, do much for me. But a great song. Yeah, great song. Thanks to our guests today, Tim Kirkchen and Hornaday. Thanks to our sponsor, Shopify. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review.
1: Oh, and I, I need to mention for Rob Culpin, we have some new shirt offerings on oh, shop.tonycornizershow.com. So when he's not focused on the future of
3: Carson Wentz, I think he's got some new stuff for the spring. <laughs> <laughs> All right, from Tyler Childerhost. Famous people from London, Ontario, Canada Justin Bieber, Ryan Gosling, Rachel McAdams, Victor Garber, Brett and Eric Lindros, Frederick Banting, who discovered insulin. London, Ontario is a big city. Uh, you know, we're talking about small towns here. From Mark Turner, I'm aware of exactly two people who were born and in Marion, Indiana on February 8th James Dean and me. That's it. That's the list. I've tried to tell my children that sharing a birthplace and a birthday with James Dean automatically makes me cool, but they disagree. James Dean's been gone for so long, nobody knows who he was. Ted Hogson, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. Yes, that's Saskatoon from a rope and a yardstick. (laughs) Joni Mitchell. That's the list. Again, that is a capital. Yeah. That's a capital city. It's a big city. Uh, Adam Gerwitch, as Melbourne is a city of over five million people, it would be a little unfair to compare its famous citizens to some rinky-dink town in Iowa. So how about we go for the subcategory of basketball players? Former number one draft pick and Twitter provocateur Andrew Bogut. FIBA Hall of Fame Michelle Timms. WNBA All-Star human headline Liz Cambich. Uh, Nate Smith Hall of Fame, Lindsey Gaze, his son, Olympic legend and Seton Hall's old Andrew Gaze, the son of a teammate of Andrew Gaze, NBA Rookie of the Year candidate Josh Giddy, another son of a teammate of Gaze, former number one draft pick Ben Simmons, and another former number one draft pick Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving was born in Australia. Yeah, I didn't believe that, and I looked it that's up. That's yeah. really that's impressive. But again, Melbourne is a city of five million. Yeah, big city. Mark Schwab, Brent, Brentwood, Tennessee. There are a few famous people from Fayetteville, Arkansas. My favorite being my old friend Jason Moore, who directed the movie Pitch Perfect, which we love. It's a great movie. We don't love all the others. We love that that one. Another person from Fayetteville is my idiot brother Judd. (laughs) Judd doesn't know proper protocol and didn't write the show to announce the birth of his first child, a masculine child, Paxton. Paxton is doomed to the life of a Razorback fan and being raised by an absolute dope of a father. His wife, Maria, is from some godforsaken town in Ohio I've never bothered to remember. 100% chance there isn't a famous person from wherever she's from. Mark Schwab is killing it. He's killing it in this email. From Cameron Stevens in Sydney, Australia. In Sydney, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Russell Crowe, Rose Byrne, Jackie Weaver, Miranda Kerr, ACDC, The Wiggles. Okay, but it's... Come on. It's like New York City. Okay. (laughs) Never heard of it. Brent Eaton. There are no famous people from my hometown of New Market, Virginia. In the summer of 1981, John Cruck lived here. In the summer of 1983, Brett Gardner lived here. They both played on the New Market Rebels baseball team, which is a member of the Valley Baseball League, a summer wood bat league for college players. Both of them have been inducted into the Valley League Hall of Fame. I think their time in New Market propelled them to bigger and better things. In a separate email, I'm including a list of about 20 people who would like you to call them, which is funny. <laughs> from Paul Clark, the pantheon of famous individuals from Lewiston, Idaho is sparse. Walt Disney was married in Lewiston. There's a locally famous picture of Walt and wife after the wedding in front of a house on the block my wife and I lived on before, after we got married. Tour buses of presumably underwhelmed travelers actually parade past the house when summer riverboat cruises stop in our valley. The other famous person I think to mention in email is Joel Damon. I know you don't know who he is. Yes, I do. He's a golfer. golfer. Of course I know who he took is. Took his shirt off. You made, ref- right. you made reference to him on Monday's <laughs> show, not once but twice, saying, I don't know who that guy is. Joel, who actually grew up across the river in Clarkston, Washington, is a professional golfer. He was partnered with Harry Higgs on Sunday yeah. at the Waste Management and took his shirt off on number 16. Can't now you know that it. guy is the Lewis Clark Valley's own Joel Damon. <laughs> also, there are 10 outlets in our kitchen, plus one plate that has two USB plugs for charging devices. From Chris Walkinshaw. I'm from Scottsdale, Arizona. It's a big city. It's where Wilbon lives now. Just like Kerry Russell. Drop the mic. Okay. (laughs) Kerry Russell. Okay. Ian Stark. There are cows across the highway from my house. The pasture was once owned by James Stewart. Yes, that James Stewart. Oh, and Julie Andrews has a place there, too. The highway is single lane in each direction. But he doesn't say where it is. He doesn't identify where it is. You have to email us back, right? You know, come on. Chris Foster who says, the official Subaru rep of the Tony Kornheiser Show. Listing famous people from our hometown. Is that what we're doing now? Let's try El Paso. Again, a pretty big place. Have you ever heard of the name Sandra Day O'Connor? What about Gene Roddenberry? That's Star Trek. Yes. Don Bluth, Debbie Reynolds, Omar Bradley, a five-star general, F. Murray Abraham, Sam Donaldson, Aaron Jones, and your favorite politician, Beto O'Rourke. Again, okay. I get it. That's a great list, but El Paso is big. Famous person from Cumberland, Maryland, writes Ron in Cumberland, Maryland. William H., don't call me short, Macy. (laughs) From Martin in Nottingham, England. As an Englishman, I was amused to hear Skylar O'Brien confirm the origin of the town Milton Keynes as a combination of the poet John Milton and the economist John Maynard Keynes. Milton Keynes was actually named for the existing village that the new town was built on and is pronounced Milton Keynes. Whereas Keynes, the economist, is pronounced Keynes. Honestly, I'd have expected better from an economics major from Waco. But as we're clearly not referring to Wikipedia these days, I'd like to reciprocate and inform you and your listeners that Waco was actually named after the World War II glider that delivered Allied airborne troops into battle. It's also actually pronounced Wacko. You know who lived in Melton Keynes? Alan Turing, the man who invented the computer. Apparently, his invention is quite good for checking these things. <laughs> the smugness of that email pleases me enormously. From Jared, i just read this one. From Jared Burley in Muncie, Pennsylvania. After, while listening to the pod, I was delighted to hear Nigel's reaction to the name of the town horseheads in upstate New York. <laughs> As the official dairy farmer and Northeast Pennsylvania consultant of the Tony Kornheiser show, my David Aldrich moments are usually reserved for Mr. Tony's mentions of his days at camp, the flying veterinarian Orson, Pennsylvania, and things of that ilk. But when I heard horse heads, I said, hey, I know that town. It's just north of Corning. I said it was near Corning, and is home to one of the finest herds of cattle, lantland Holsteins in the country. I've been through there many times. Legend has it that the town was named for an incident that occurred during the American Revolution. General John Sullivan started. Started his march in eastern Pennsylvania and headed to the Susquehanna Valley and continued north. A band of native Americans, the Iroquois tribe, and British loyalists snuck into Sullivan's camp and cut the heads off the horses. Not exactly a nice story, but still far more uplifting than anything written by Louise Gluck. In actuality, (laughs) Sullivan's army was short of food and supplies, and most of the horses died, and the Iroquois found the skulls and placed them along the path. I mean, come on, man. Could you really sneak into a camp and quietly pull that off while all the soldiers were gathered around their solo stoves? What are you even doing out here, man? P.S. I have very few outlets in my kitchen. My house was built in 1810. There wasn't a lot of forward thinking that included electricity. On the flip side, I have tons of room for churning butter, Spinning wheel and butchering my own meat. Great email. If you're out on your bike tonight, <laughs> everyone as always do wear white.
0: You want to talk real customers, kid? That's me, I'm like the mayor of
4: Duncan.
3: I go from Marblehead to Revere. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I